Radio Mano Papachango. Chris and my fellow tangentially speaking listeners. My name is Nate. I'm currently in Palm Desert, California. I took some edibles earlier and just finished a hour in the float tank. And yeah, that was interesting. Christopher, hi, my name is Charlie. I work in Los Angeles in the television industry and I listen to your podcast to keep my mind active. I appreciate your vagabond lifestyle, and I'm looking forward to maybe doing the same thing myself one day. Hi, Chris. My name is Cody. I'm sitting here in my home office, and it's officially my first day back after a trip to Nepal. And as I'm working through some pretty dry accounting this morning. I'm listening to episode 398. I couldn't be more grateful to be given and receiving these glimpses of insight. It's just, it's really cool. It's amazing. And I'm beyond grateful for the collective and uh, motivated and inspired to continue learning and hopefully, you know, pouring in my drops. Yeah. So thanks so much. Uh, Much love from Ohio. Thank you, Cody. Uh, Very nice to hear from you in Ohio and uh, Charlie and Nate as well and everyone else who sends in those beautiful little intro snippets. Um, Sometimes I have to edit them down because once people get talking, they like to, you know, I know what it's like. You get a mic in front of you and the next thing you know, an hour's gone by. Let's see what happens here. This is a Roma episode. Uh, I've got a few in the can, but I'm going to save them for uh, next year. I wanted to put out one more episode in December because I've been kind of lax, and um, and uh, I thought it would be good to just catch up with some stuff that I've been thinking about lately. I'm um, coming to you from Chiang Mai, Thailand, by the way, northern Thailand. It's... Uh, it's pretty wild to be here. I have to say, um, I was here three years ago, two, little, maybe something like that, two and a half, three years ago. Um, the last time Casilda uh, and I were uh, hanging out with uh, Justin Alexander at the time. Those of you who've listened to the podcast for a while probably know who Justin Alexander was. He uh, was a good friend of mine. Um, We spent about a month here. We rented motorcycles, rode up to Pi together. Uh, Yeah, just just hung out for quite a while here. And then um, he left Thailand and went to uh, Nepal, worked on, um, I guess it was building a, I forget if it was a school or a medical clinic in a village up in the mountains there, donated his time doing that. And then, um, and then he went to India and uh, met a sadhu who's uh, sort of a amateur holy man. Um, and this sadhu apparently invited Justin up into the mountains 
in the Himalayas, um, and Justin went up there and decided he was going to go hardcore, spiritual, ascetic experience, living in a small cave and eating very little and sort of pushing his body to the limit and um, trying to learn something from this sadhu and Anyway, uh, from that point, it starts getting mysterious and misty, and um, no one's really quite sure what happened, but Justin's gone, and his body's never been found, and um, the sadhu was picked up by the police on suspicion of murder, and then, uh, according to the police, hanged himself in his jail cell, sort of a Jeffrey Epstein situation, Uh, but... uh, Yeah, I don't think anyone really believes the guy hanged himself in the jail cell. But in any case, the sadhu died. So the trail to finding out what happened to Justin and who was behind it all went pretty dry pretty quickly. And um, anyway, so Chiang Mai, yeah, there are ghosts in Chiang Mai for me. Um, It's strange walking by the place where we rented the motorbike and walking by the guest house where we were staying and restaurants where we had breakfast and thinking that that guy's doesn't exist anymore. Beautiful, young, strong, adventurous, hungry dude just vanished. Yeah. And there are other ghosts here. They're, they're ghosts of me. Um, the first time I came here was probably 1987, maybe something like that. I was traveling by myself through Asia. I had been in India and Nepal already at that point. Um, and I flew to Bangkok and came up to Chiang Mai. I rented a motorcycle here and, uh, went on a, a circuit, um, out to those of you who know Thailand, I, I went to the, the mountain, I forget what it's called, but it's the highest mountain in Thailand, went up there and then continued to Mehong Son and then over to Pai. Um, interestingly, though, the, the road from Mehong Song to Pai at that point, uh, although it appeared on the map, it was not constructed yet. It was um, the machines were there in the jungle. They had cut the road, um, but it was dirt. Um, and not e- like when I say a dirt road, you're imagining a hard dirt road that you could ride a motorcycle on. But in fact, this was, it was more like snow. It was deep, loose dirt and riding that motorcycle. I couldn't go more than, I don't know, five kilometers an hour or something. Both my feet out the bike, you know, slipping and falling and sloshing all over the place. Um, I, when I hit the dirt, I thought, well, this road's on the map. It's definitely here. This must just be a stretch of construction. So I kept going. And it was afternoon. The sun was going down. And, I, you know, I, I didn't speak any Thai. And I couldn't ask anyone, like, hey, is this just a patch of construction or what's up here? So I just had to sort of assume. And I made the wrong assumption. I assumed that uh, I'd hit pavement again soon. Turns out it was probably, you know, 30 kilometers of this deep, loose dirt. So I ended up getting stranded in the middle of the night, pulled into some farmer's house. I saw some lights and, um, 
yeah, very awkward. I couldn't speak. I didn't, you know, I, there was no way to communicate. But they could see like, this this bozo is stuck out here in the middle of the night. So they gave me, uh, they just showed me a place I could sleep and gave me some food and some tea. And I got up in the morning, just left some money on the pillow and or blanket or whatever they'd given me and and kept rolling. Eventually I made it and I didn't destroy the bike. I got my deposit back and I didn't destroy myself. I, you know, it's one of those things you wonder how the fuck you survive. But, um, yeah. So the ghost of that guy is here too. I see him around somewhere and I wonder what he was like and what I would think if I, you know, sat down next to him on a bus today and we got to talking. What would I think of that guy? Would I be amused at how intense he was? Would I be annoyed at how certain he was? Or at how uncertain he was that he was trying to, you know, bury under a sense of certainty? Um, would I admire him? Or would I pity him? Uh, I imagine I'd feel compassion for him. I feel compassion for most young people that I meet. Um, I think it's one of the great lies uh, that we tell is that youth is so fun in America. We have this, you know, this worship of youth and um, all the ads show young people with big smiles and tight abs and perky tits and everybody's just at their best and you know living their best life and they're at their peak and everything's fucking great man woohoo party on down the truth is being young is hard as fuck you're carrying the weight of what your life is gonna be and that is so heavy you're carrying the weight of deep uncertainty not knowing how this is all going to turn out. And of course, we never know how things are going to turn out. But, you know, as, as, as I've often said, no one can steal money you've already spent. And uh, as you get older, that weight shifts from the weight of uncertainty of what's coming, of what's my life going to be like, who am I going to meet, where am I going to live? It shifts to what has my life been? It's like the hourglass, right? The sand transfers from one part of it to the other. It's the same amount of sand. You know, it doesn't matter what time it is. The hourglass always weighs the same. But it moves from one chamber to another. And I got to tell you, at least speaking for me, uh, speaking for myself, the weight of what has been I think is lighter than the weight of wondering what will be. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but, but from where I'm sitting right now, it feels like even with its sadnesses, even with the ghosts, even with the, you know, the Justins and the nachos and, and the other people that I I've loved and lost, it still feels like nostalgia is not as heavy as uncertainty and um, 
dread. You know, I think it's impossible not to dread the future in some ways. Even when you're approaching life as an adventure, as, as I certainly have, um, you know, there's, there's a fear of failure. There's a fear of, you know, this might not turn out as well as I'm hoping it will. Uh, or, you know, this plan I have for my life might be a colossal mistake. Uh, you don't know because you don't get a chance to practice life. This is it. This life is not a run through, as the Red Hot Chili Peppers put it. Uh, this is it. There's no rehearsal. And um, so you can't be blamed for worrying and um, and doubting that your plan is really the best plan and that your approach to things is going to pan out the way you hope it will. And that's what makes youth so difficult, um, so heavy. And I think what makes it even heavier is that you're surrounded with this propaganda telling you these are the best days of your life. These are, this is when it's great. This is when everything's wonderful. And, uh, it's all just downhill from here, you know, talking to a 25 year old or something. And that 25 year old is probably thinking, are you fucking kidding me? This is the best. I'm losing my mind here. I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to have relationships. I don't know who I am. I don't know how to relate to other people. I, I don't know what I'm going to do for a living. I don't know how I'm going to survive for the next 40 or 50 years. Fair enough. So I'm here to tell you that if you're 25 or 30 or 35 or 40 or whatever the fuck age you are, you have every right to feel that you're carrying a heavy weight. It's not the same weight I'm carrying. It's not the same weight other people are carrying, but we're all carrying weight. So don't believe people telling you you've got no reason to feel exhausted sometimes. On that note, let me uh, segue into an awkward transition here. This episode is brought to you by Lilo. L-E-L-O dot com. Lilo makes these amazing uh, sex toys, vibrators, personal uh, satisfaction devices. I uh, got an email the other day from someone who uh, says he owns the only sex toy shop in Thailand. Apparently, sex toys are illegal in Thailand. So um, when I go back to Bangkok, uh, possibly I'll sit down with him or her. I don't know, uh, whether it's a man or a woman, um, and, uh, talk about Thai sexuality, which seems super interesting to me. Um, in any case, Lilo.com, uh, are, they make the best, the best stuff you can, the best stuff I know of all sorts of interesting, uh, very subtle, uh, designs don't even look like sex toys, uh, very high quality materials. And if you mention Chris Ryan, C-H-R-I-S-R-Y-A-N, use the code at checkout for 15% off all full priced items. Lilo.com. Check them out. I didn't mean to put that in the middle of the podcast. I try to keep the sponsorship stuff only to the beginning and the end. But in this case, I got rolling and forgot all about it. So there you go. You got your mid-reel sponsorship. I'll put one at the end as well. Lilo.com. Discount code Chris Ryan for 15% off. 
All right. Now, I got an email a while back from a guy named Neil Soresby who asked me to address the question of why people leave nasty comments. Uh, I guess I mentioned that after I do uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, I sometimes look at the comments on YouTube um, because they tend to be really aggressive and nasty and um, that I find it to be kind of like uh, a psychological ice bath. It's like uh, applying the Wim Hof method to your ego and your consciousness <laughs> to hear all this nasty shit that people say. Um, so the question of why people make comments like that, I think it, it, you know, I think it has something to do with what I was just talking about. I think that people are in pain and aggression and um, that kind of nastiness to me, it's pretty clearly an expression of pain. You know, one of the things that that I see is, uh, for example, I just posted a, uh, a link to Tal Ruspoli's movie Monogamish, um, which you should check out if you have Amazon Prime or I think it's also available on iTunes. That's a, a movie I was in, Dan Savage, Esther Perel. It, it's a really interesting film where Tal is sort of looking at his own life. He was married to a movie star for eight years and... Uh, they separated, and that was traumatic. And um, uh, his family's very interesting. His father was a prince, and he's been on the podcast. So you probably know his story. Um, anyway, it's very bi- autobiographical. And then he interviews people like me and Dan and Esther and, and other people about you know, okay, what's going on with relationships and sexuality and all this. Anyway, so I post this thing, and on I think it was Instagram or Twitter or somewhere, and. Uh, and these these guys say, oh, this must, this is like one of these cuck movies, you know. Oh, this is all the cucks, cuck. When I see guys calling other men cucks, it's so clearly an expression of their own insecurity and fear that it sometimes amazes me that people don't realize how exposed they are, how much they expose themselves in their denunciations. You know, every time I see one of these Christian ministers screaming about, you know, the evil homosexuals, it's like, dude, do you not realize that you think you're covering something up? You think you're hiding something, but what you're actually doing is broadcasting it. You think you're compensating for this terror that you have, this insecurity, this these doubts about yourself. But what you're actually doing is you're broadcasting them. You're showing us exactly where your buttons are. You're showing us what you're most afraid of because that's what you attack in others. Um, and I don't know if this is a, a question of age or not. I, mean, I don't think I saw this as clearly when I was young. And I think, in fact, you know, when I was young, I thought I was getting away with things that now... I realized I wasn't getting away with them at all. In fact, what was happening is that a lot of the people that I was speaking to were either as young and stupid as me, so they didn't see how insecure I was, or they were older and kinder, and they just didn't mention what they could see. And I think it's like that. It's, it's like when you... 
I, I don't know. It's like uh, when you're young, you you know, you rip a fart on the airplane and nobody complains, so you think you got away with it. Nobody nobody smelled it, and then you get older and you realize, no, everybody smells it. They just don't say anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> life is like that. You think you're getting away with things when you're young, then you realize later you, you didn't get away with it. Just nobody called you on it because they're. They didn't want to make you uncomfortable. They didn't want to deal with conflict. They didn't, you know. So it's funny how we think we get away with shit, but other people, in fact, other people are just sort of letting us get away with it. And I, I feel that way with a lot of these comments. So, you know, when I look at, I, I guess I learned a lot about this after writing Sex at Dawn, and I saw the way people reacted to it. Um, and you know, there's a legitimate criticism of the book. There's there's legitimate scientific disagreement with the, the various arguments that are made in the book. That's all fine, whatever. That's part of the game. But the people who freaked out, the people who were, you know, vehement or, you know, said, you know, reviews that began, you know, Chris Ryan doesn't even understand the first thing about evolution or, you know, that kind of like super dismissive, angry uh, response, I quickly came to see that what's happening here is this person's having a dialogue with themselves. This isn't about me. It's not about my book. It's not about my arguments. It's not about the science. This is about them. This is about their life, their relationship, their fears, their insecurities. And so I feel, um, you know, they're using my name and they think think they're responding to me or something that I've written. But in fact, all they're doing is broadcasting their interior dialogue. So when I read these reviews on YouTube, um, you know, most of the, you know, most of them are positive, which is beautiful. I, you know, like people say really nice things and that makes me feel great. And the ones that are negative are like, you know, okay, uh, what are the main themes? Probably, oh, he's an old creep, you know, creepy old dude. Okay, fine, I guess I am. But I think that in in American culture, any man who's over, you know, 35 and has any sort of erotic energy whatsoever is considered creepy by a lot of people. And that's, I don't know what the definition of creep is, but I think it's an older man that, you know, has some sort of sexual energy that you're not into. So there you go. That's a creep. So there's no way to avoid that. And again, that's not about me. That's about the person who's having that reaction. Um, you know, or, uh, you know, he's a pseudo intellectual. Okay. I never said I'm a fucking intellectual at all. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, or, you know, that book's been debunked. Well, it hasn't been debunked. It was never bunked in the first place. Um, you know, I, I used to be tempted to get into dialogues with these people, but I realized there's no point because it's not about me. So I guess that's, uh, the main point that I would say in response to, to Neil's question. Uh, I think, most of the time, you know, there are legitimate criticisms. There is helpful criticism. Um, but when it's couched in anger and vehemence and it's strident in tone, almost always what's happening is the person is having 
an interior dialogue in public and you're just able to listen in on that. It's not about you. It's not about whatever the subject matter is. It's about them. Um, so if you can maintain that kind of posture, you can sort of deal with a lot of shit from people. It's very much an Aikido approach to, to uh, social interaction, which, you know, that's on good days. I can hold on to it. Uh, on bad days, it's a lot harder. Um, all right. I'm going to play some music now. And it happens to be by the same guy, Neil Sorsby. It's a, it's a beautiful piece called long roads. He sent it to me and said, I'd be honored if you played this on the podcast. I don't know why I wrote this little piece. I just love the subtle ways in which the notes meet. And uh, I agree. It's interesting. It reminds me of a band called Explosions in the Sky who um, do the same sort of interesting tonal shifts, um, much louder and more intense. This is sort of a a softer version of... uh, a song by Explosions in the Sky, perhaps. Anyway, this is Neil Sorsby, Long Roads. Soresby. Uh, speaking of long roads, let's get to a, a long road related uh, question that was sent in by someone named Dima a while back. Uh, let's see, here's my question. I've been to many countries as a tourist, so I have an idea about different places and lifestyles. Now I'm planning to visit five of my favorite countries with full immersion 
and get an experience of real life of local people and eat, pray, love experience without the praying. So just eat love and eat love experience. Um, but as I've heard from many people, there's a threshold between new emotions and boredom in every new place. I'm wondering how much time should I spend in each country? I understand that people are different and life is random, but what do you think about it? Where is the threshold? Dima. Um, Dima, I, there's no answer to that question, as I'm sure you know. It's, uh, it's a fascinating question, but where is the threshold? Well, you know, so much of it depends on language, I think. If you speak the language or plan to learn the language, then uh, the threshold keeps moving because the more you understand the language, the more you can start to get into the way people think and experience the world there. If you're just hanging out like I am right now in Thailand, don't speak any Thai at all, um, your ability to see what's going on around you is limited because there's no, you can't get into the cognitive process uh, at least not linguistically. You can sort of see how people respond to things and make some assumptions based upon that. But um, it's very difficult to, you know, talk about ideas and perceptions and things with people um, unless a bunch of them speak English, which is quite helpful. Um, so I don't know. I, I think language is a big, a big difference. Um, also, I think how how much do you feel that the values of that culture resonate with your own personal values? I think that's a big thing. Like, for example, in Thailand, I've noticed people don't honk their horns here. It's, it's great. I mean, I was in Bangkok a couple of days ago, uh, massive traffic jams, some of the biggest traffic jams on earth. And you don't hear a single horn. It's quiet. And, the traffic moves just as it would if everyone were honking their horns. So I think they're right. I, I admire them that their culture is like, why honk your horn? You're not going to get there any sooner. Just chill out. That seems to be a pretty important aspect of Thai culture. Chill out. Don't be angry. Don't express anger. Don't get frustrated. Just stay calm. It's so fucking hot and humid here that if you get frustrated and angry, you're just making yourself uncomfortable. So maybe maybe there's some sort of weather-related uh, uh, chill here. But, um, you know, in my, my experience, one of the reasons that I lived in Spain as long as I did is that even when I didn't speak the language, I felt like this culture makes sense to me. I get it. I, I understand why people are acting the way they are. I understand why... Lunch takes two hours. I understand why waiters aren't like running around giving you fake smiles and asking you how your day is going because they don't give a shit. And their personal dignity is more important than your tip, you know, and not to not to give any shit to American waiters. Uh, I was one, uh, but it's a different system. You know, you don't. In America, if you don't throw out that false smile and false interest in how people's days are going, you get fired. Whereas in Spain, you've got job security and uh, you're getting paid a decent wage. You're not living on tips. So it's a whole different approach to life. One which I find um, 
in general, more congruent with my own approach to life. So I think that's a thing to think about when you're traveling, especially if you're traveling in, in an immersive sort of way, um, like Dilma wants to do. Um, it's really interesting to look at the culture and look at yourself within that culture and see where are the conflict points and where are the congruences. And if you find a culture where you feel more congruent than the culture you grew up in, as I did, um, that might be a place you want to stay for a long time. That might be a language you want to study. Um, that might be a place you want to think about, you know, maybe spending a significant chunk of your life in. Because there's a lot to be learned when you're not distracted by constantly struggling against the values of the society around you. Um, there's a lot of energy wasted in that, in my experience. And there's a lot to be gained from, uh, you know, it's like friendships. You want to you develop friendships with people who understand you, who, who sort of like to live the way you like to live. Um, you know, I was talking with the minimalists recently. I did their podcast and we were talking about relationships and someone said something about relationships being work. And I said, yeah, I mean, there, there is work in every relationship, but if, if your relationship is a lot of work, if it feels to you more like work than play, then maybe you're in the wrong fucking relationship, you know? Um, and I think life itself should be like that. You know, if you're constantly fighting against your culture, maybe it's the wrong culture. It's not easy to pick up and go somewhere else. Um, but if it's possible, and here I am in Thailand, there are a lot of Westerners living in Thailand. Um, even if they don't speak Thai, they just like the vibe here better. They like the, you know, the food, the, the attention to flavors and textures in food, the, the, um, sort of low energy, low frustration levels I was talking about earlier, the smells. I mean, there are sensual pleasures of, of different places that, uh, that might resonate with you more. So there's no way to say what the threshold is. It could be a week. It could be a month. It could be the rest of your life. It all depends on um, whether those currents in that society feel like they're pulling you in directions that uh, you want to go in. Okay, next email is from Lauren. Uh, again, these are pretty old. <laughs> I, have a, I have a Roma um, folder that I put emails in and... Often when I do the Romas, I forget all about the emails because I've got other stuff I want to talk about and I don't get to them. And, um, but uh, I just pulled up the folder and my God, this is from 2016. So Lauren, if you still listen to the podcast, damn, thank you. Uh, and I'm sorry it took so long to get, <laughs> to get to your email. Anyway, she says, um, I'd love to hear you say more about your thoughts on the role of ambition. You've touched on this briefly before that you think ambition should be a temporary state instead of a permanent characteristic. I just finished up my first year of grad school at Emory in the psych department, and I'm thankful for being around such successful people. It certainly has put me in a place of tension in regards to ambition. On one hand, I love what I do, and I'm immensely motivated and interested in what I study. Um, but on the other hand, by committing to a career in academia... I'm signing on for a very stressful, deadline-driven, competitive life. 
Uh, I recently went on vacation and spent the entire time anxious about the fact I wasn't working. I wish there was a way to keep the satisfaction I get from being intellectually productive and rigorous without also having to deal with the ambition the ambition black hole of academia, which makes you feel like you're never doing or achieving as much as you should be. Um, yeah. So, uh, ambition. Uh, yeah, I'm extremely suspicious of ambition and always have been. It, it sounds to me, ambition is very similar to this, um, you know, your country needs you honor your country. Um, you know, a few good men, the kind of propaganda that's used to recruit people into activities that do not serve their interests, but serve the interests of some other entity. Um, you know, I, I got into a little bit of a dust up on Veterans Day recently when I said online I, I wrote something about, you know, I, I have compassion for veterans and feel, um, yeah, I, I feel compassion for them, but I don't feel I need to thank anyone for their service because nobody served me. Nobody's done anything for me. I can't, in my lifetime, there hasn't been a just war. So someone who went off to Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan, they sure as fuck didn't do it for me. I didn't vote for the people who sent them there. Uh, I would not have wanted them to go there. I would not have wanted anyone to go there. I don't think that any of those wars served my interests in the least. And um, I feel sorry for people who um, were hurt or killed or... um, yeah, whose lives were damaged in any way by those conflicts. But to to thank someone for doing that seems totally counterproductive to me um, because they didn't do it for me. And I would have preferred they not do it at all. So there's that. And I feel like ambition is sort of similar. It's It's like, you know, you're tricked into this mindset of believing that you're only valuable in as much as you do this work, as much as you're productive, as much as you, uh, you know, in this case, you, you write grants and you get money and you publish research and, um, you know, you, you get tenure, hopefully someday. Um, that is, uh, a strange wheel to get on. And once you get on and start running, it becomes increasingly difficult to get off. I feel like the only ambition we should have in life is ambition for immediate things, not secondarily, uh, not secondary or tertiary satisfactions. And by that, what I mean is, is, performing some, having a a life that's built around meaning and and um beauty and sensual pleasure things that feel good immediately not something that can bring you things that feel good you know what i mean so i think chasing money is a mistake because the problem is money doesn't feel good you can't eat money you, you know, there's no there's no 
money is a means to something else. Um, but you often get lost in those steps in between the uh, effort that you put in and the result that you want. So, you know, if you're working hard in a bank, let's say, you go and you sit in a cubicle all day under fluorescent lighting, breathing this recycled stale ale, air, pushing um, papers from, you know, one side of your desk to the other, pretending you're busy uh, because you got to be there from nine to five and you get a half hour for lunch and you go and eat some fast food and you're doing all this so that you can save up money so you can go on vacation for a week or 10 days out of the year. Um, That seems like a really bad deal to me Uh, because your life is what you do every day. It's not what you do that week or 10 days out of the year. And as Lauren said in this email, like even when you get into that mindset, even when you're on vacation, you spend most of the time feeling bad about the fact that you're not working because you're falling behind. You're, you know, maybe your colleagues don't take as much vacation time as you do. So you're a lazy good for nothing and you're not going to get that position that everybody's competing for. And it's a shitty way to live. Even if you win, it's a shitty way to live. Because even if you win, you still will have spent most of your time doing something you didn't want to do. And um, so my feeling about ambition is, yeah, I'm ambitious in the sense that I'm ambitious to have as much of my time as possible be mine. Uh, I'm ambitious to have high quality of life with low sacrifice. Um, You know, I'm ambitious to sort of find clever ways to satisfy my needs without uh, selling huge chunks of my day um, or doing something that I find humiliating and... um, disempowering those are ambitions but they're not ambitions in the sense that i'm trying to achieve things that other people will look at and be impressed by because i don't really give a fuck about those people the only people i want to impress are people who know me and i don't really have to do anything to prove my value to them because that comes about just because we know each other i may have talked about this on the podcast before, but one of the ways I think about these things is how much money would someone have to pay me to get up at six o'clock every morning? Just what would it cost per year for me to shift my life around so that I needed to wake up every morning at 6 a.m.? I'd say, I don't know, maybe $30,000. I would do that. And then, how much would you have to pay me to shave every day? Uh, I don't know, another 20. And how much would you have to pay me to wear a suit and tie five days a week? 50? So now we're up to 80. 80 grand a year. Uh, how much would you have to pay me to call someone boss to think of 
that I have a boss and that I have to do what my boss wants me to do. I have to attend this fucking stupid ass meeting because my boss said I should. And I have to pretend I'm interested in this project that this fucking doodad that our company is making or this, you know, dynamic service provider bullshit. How, how much would you have to pay me to speak that language and pretend to care about shit I don't care about? I, I, I don't know. A hundred? A hundred grand a year, probably? So, I mean, if you add those things up, it's like, that's 180 grand per year right there. Um, Like, just to not do those things, you know? So, it's strange if you look at work that way, if you look at, you know, remuneration, it's not just how much money you make that should go into the calculation. It's the value of the things that you're giving up for that money. How much time are you giving up? How much dignity are you giving up? How much quality of life are you giving up? Are you being forced to live in a place you don't want to live? Are you being forced to spend time with people you don't want to spend time with? It's so much better to make 50 grand a year doing something that you actually enjoy with people you respect than it is to make 500 grand a year doing something you don't enjoy with people you don't respect. Because as I said, at the end of the day, all you have is time. Money comes and goes. Time just goes. So that's my sense of ambition. What is ambition? What's it worth? What are we really ambitious for? Um, I think it's very important to calculate those things with as full a calculation as possible, with as full an understanding as possible that um, it's not just about how much money comes in at the end of the day. It's what has to go out of you, out of your heart, out of your soul, out of your spirit in order to bring that money in. And as far as like professional accolades and ah, that's all bullshit. They pin a fucking medal on you. I, you know, again, back to the military, you know, so-and-so won the medal of this, uh, the medal of that. And okay, great. But that only matters to people within that little world. Outside of that little world, nobody gives a shit. Those things don't mean anything. So it's like a, a currency that can only be spent at a certain kind of store. It's really not very valuable. It's all about quality of life, relationships, friendships, how much time you get to spend lying in a hammock, reading a book, how many sunsets you get to watch, how much time you get to spend with your children, with your friends. That's what really matters, in my humble opinion. All right, that's enough for me. I'm going to uh, say goodbye. I'm going to remind you that this episode was brought to you by Lilo, Lilo.com. Use the code Chris Ryan at checkout for 15% off any and all full priced items. Uh, and uh, I will check in with you again soon. Also from somewhere in Thailand, I'm headed up to Pai tomorrow. Uh, probably going to cruise around and um, rent a motorcycle and go visit some of those little villages that I went to so long ago and uh, look for ghosts of my former self there. 
This is, you probably heard me tell the story about how I came around a corner too fast and there was an elephant standing in the middle of the road and I like finally stopped about three feet away from the elephant. Uh, and uh, that elephant has never left my consciousness. Talk about ghosts, the ghost of that elephant. I almost died running into that elephant in a motorcycle. And all the years I've ridden motorcycles after that, and I come on a blind turn, I imagine there's an elephant standing right around the corner there. So I'm always prepared for that elephant in the middle of the road. Um, yeah, that happened up here on this ride from Chiang Mai to Mehong Song and Pai. Um, so hopefully I won't run into any elephants. But uh, thanks for listening to this. Thanks for uh, checking out Lilo. If you're going to get a sex toy for someone, tis the holiday season. It's a good time to do it. And um, I'm going to play you out with a song that's uh, kind of, I don't know if it's sappy or, I don't know. I just like it. It's Nelly, believe it or not. You probably never thought Uncle Chris was going to play a Nelly song for you. But it's uh, it's called And They Say or and they say, yeah, and they say. It's a pretty interesting song about life and what matters and what doesn't. and Yeah, gets deep. All right, hope things are going well for you. Hope your, uh, you know, holiday situation isn't one that increases your pain. I know a lot of times people suffer a lot this time of year. They, It's kind of like the whole, you know, social media phenomenon um, concentrated into the rest of our lives where it always seems that everybody else is having a great time and here I am alone and miserable and I don't have friends or I don't have family or I don't, you know everyone else is sort of engaged in a party that I'm not invited to for some reason it can make life really difficult um, for people who are going through a diff- difficult transition difficult time so I don't know if you know someone if someone comes to mind when you hear me talk about that Maybe invite them over or give them a call. Just make sure they're doing okay. Invite them to the party if you can. And if you're one of those people, uh, you know, rest assured that there are a lot of people feeling the same. I I love to get out of the Western world in holiday time just because I find the enforced cheerfulness to be really annoying. Um But, uh, yeah, there have been lots of years where I was just feeling so not invited to the party. And uh, so I know how that feels. And it's all bullshit. Just get through it. And uh, you'll be all right on the other side. And, you know, life follows its own rhythms. It doesn't give a shit about holidays and calendars and all that kind of stuff. So good times are around the corner. If you're feeling bad, just rest assured you're going to be feeling better soon. All right. Love y'all. Take care. See you next year. Come to think about it, can't believe it's been that long 
I heard your man locked down now. How long he gone? Oh, that long. How the hell he get time like that? Three strikes with possession. Oh, he ain't coming back. He left you with two kids and bills all around. Plus, you found out he had another chick cross town. It's always the dog right before the sunrise. And you gotta stay strong for the kids and they eyes. And please don't despise. And go against all brothers and have a hatred in your heart and take it out on another. I hate to sound too pockish, little mama. But keep your head up. But you gon' make it, I promise. You keep your head up. And that that don't care, you only makes you stronger. And the will to succeed will only feed the hunger. For real. Hey, oh, and they say. 